Hey there, it's Mara Schiavocampo, and you're listening to Motivated. Whether you work out regularly or someone who really watches your diet, or maybe you've slipped off the wagon or gained back some weight that you've lost, or you just need an extra push to help you stay on track, staying motivated is key. And that's why we're here to help. Every week, we're bringing you the top health, wellness, and fitness experts, along with a lot of really amazing everyday people. And it's all about helping you live a healthier and happier life. Don't want to wait until Monday for the next episode of Motivated? You can hear it three days early on the TuneIn app. Download TuneIn today and listen for free. So we're here this afternoon with Brad Lamb. This is a guest I've really been looking forward to speaking with. He's an author, he's a teacher, he's an interventionist, and he's the founder of the Breathe Life Healing Center. And we're going to get into what they do there um, a lot more. Thank you for being here. You're welcome. <laughs> that was such a heartfelt I was answer. sort of nervous when I walked in. My ears were red, and uh, it's very hot outside here in New York. So I was walking in. I was excited to meet you, but also slightly nervous. So here's why I'm so excited to talk to you, because you're an expert on something that has affected my life probably more than anything else, which is disordered eating. You know, this show, this podcast is not about weight loss. A lot of people think that it is. It is not. It is mm. about getting to a healthy place in your relationship with food and learning to love and be excited about exercise and what your body can do. I can't tell you how many people I talk to who have a disordered relationship with food and people it you would never know. It is the number one problem in America. Why? We don't want to talk about it. Well, two-thirds of America is overweight or obese and- But even then people tell me that. Even who? Then people will say to me, I have well, a terrible oh, relationship with food. Fair enough. But then uh, that person is often restricting. So, But but just eyeballing it. You, you, you don't get on a plane or go to a mall and think, oh, my God, there are so many thin people. Mm-hmm. I find as I travel, we're getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And the shame that surrounds the conversation about our most intimate relationship we have, which is food, uh, we're not having. So what do you see in your practice? Talk to me about the Breed Life Healing Center and what you guys do around food issues. Years ago, well, I come from a, uh, a home. My mother and father never tasted uh, alcohol, never, never used a drug. Is that true for you? Uh, no, no. But I'm, I'm clean and sober almost 15 years. Uh, Congratulations. But thank you. Uh, my last name's Lamb, so I was like literally the bad <laughs> lamb in the fam. And uh, my father was a preacher, and but... My mother was had an eating disorder, and she was a laxative bulimic for 30 years. We didn't even know what it was. But three out of four of us boys, four boys in the family, grew up to have disordered eating. And so it was something that was cellular, molecular for me, and I tended to like amphetamines because it helps with your appetite. I also like cigarettes for the same reason, uh, although I don't, I haven't smoked for many, many years, but the the pull to those things to minimize my vacuum approach to eating historically uh was was in my dna and so from from that system i sprang and and so i had a passion about it i i got uh, uh i i started my own journey into recovery 15 years ago and was also bulimic and uh was supposed to be eater and bulimic and so it was in that period, it was 15 summers ago right now that I started having the internal dialogue about 
Well, something I don't need to be afraid of or ashamed of, and might I actually say it out loud that I'm dying from my food over here. Now, I had stopped meth. I used Ritalin, Adderall, and then finally I was using a lot of meth. I was a weatherman in Washington, D.C. at the Fox Affiliate. Lost that job. It was my, my life. I really struggled. And, and so I was getting a lot better, but yet the most fundamental thing of all that I would do three to five times a day, eat, right? And it was... I was in a lot of pain. I was really in a lot of uh, emotional and spiritual pain over that fundamental relationship with me. You know, I had a dog called Bandit. I had just gone through a breakup, and and here I was with my food. And it was in that period that I started really uh, – uh, I, I developed a hunger for discovery around what was at the root of that. And that led to I, – I mean, it led to a lot of stuff, but it, it led to me getting healthier. But it also led to me trying to help other people in that realm. And I remember clear as day, I had a uh, – I, I know uh, Oprah for years and years since I was in college. And I um, I worked at Warner Brothers when I was in college. And her film, A Color Purple, uh, The Color Purple was, was there. And so I have a friendship with her and intimacy. And I remember saying back during that period, I said, do you think – that you're addicted to food. And what did she say? Well, I'm certainly addicted to sugar. Mm. I'm a sugar addict. Now, did she say it as a joke? Because no, some people no, no, will no, say no. it as a joke. No. But uh, I, as I mind the conversation, I, I, I wanted to know, well, okay, given that, what might you do to change that and have lasting change around it? And she said, well, I think you just have to make up your mind. And and then that began began a conversation that led to a docu series called Addicted to Food that I created and produced for her, uh, and and then I wrote a book called Just Ten Pounds, and I was doing a lot of work on the Doctor Oz show to help create the conversation on food and say, look, look, it's killing us. Why not talk about it? And we don't have to be grim about it. We can actually have a lovely conversation about well, it. For a lot of people, though, and I, I feel like this is changing a little bit, but for a lot of people, the idea that you can be addicted to food is absurd. And it's absurd even to people who are food addicts. It's not something that we think about as an addictive substance. So what I mean by that is when I was in my most disordered eating phase, um, I had a binge eating disorder. It was not diagnosed at the time because it was not classified as an eating disorder at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I used it to, wasn't in the Bible. It wasn't in the Bible. I used to make used. a joke that I had half of an eating disorder, that I knew uh-huh. how to binge but not purge. I didn't know how much truth was in that joke, but I was mm. describing my life. And at that time, I was no different than any other addict who was at rock bottom. I would eat for hours. And it was always, you know, junk, sugar, mm. high fat. And I would go home and I would tell myself, please stop. And then I would go back out and get more. And it just was like I could not mm. get control of the beast. At that time, I never thought I was addicted to food. It didn't seem like it was something that you could be addicted to. Well, it still is very controversial in the in the realm of behavioral health. Have you ever had an eating disorder therapist on your show? No. Okay, so get this. This is going to blow your mind. I'm ready. So let's go to an eating disorder uh, conference, the biggest one in the country. We show up, and we want to talk about food addiction. And you know what? They will treat us like we are interlopers from Pluto. (laughs) Honestly, they will want to talk about anorexia and bulimia. Just now, they'll be open to talking about binge eating, but they don't want to talk about the impact of sugar on the brain and how it it creates a compelling uh, it creates a compelling obsession, right? And, and so, even in my world 
that I do in behavioral health where there's a split between the therapists that say, I'm open or curious that it might be possible that food addiction exists. And other other people will will shout you down. I've seen I've seen speakers at conferences where uh, people are interrupted by people much smarter than me that have uh, credentials that would seem that they might be curious or know, but it's in the infant, infancy, really, the treating of those who are, you know, we, it's easy to say people that are overweight, but it's not all binge eaters are overweight. It's often a yo-yo cycle of binge and then restrict, binge and restrict. Or, or binge compensate and, uh, with a lot of exercise. Yeah, absolutely. And that's called a, a exercise bulimic. Oh, see, I didn't know that. So what does the research tell us about whether or not food can be addictive? Not everyone who's a binge eater is addicted to food. Most aren't. Not everyone who's a food addict is overweight. Not everyone who's obese is a binge eater. So you really, you need a, you need a good assessment. Are there assessments? Can you take a test online? Do you yeah, need to go you know, see an eating disorder specialist? Historically, the Yale eating disorder, are you familiar with this? Yes. Yeah. So that scale used for a binge eater is really not useful. But, but the, the approach to treating the binge eater is really in its infa- infancy. So when I was doing Addicted to Food, I, uh, I went to an eating disorder program in Arizona that I used for anorexics and bulimics. And I said, look, I want to help this population and nobody's treating that population. This is eight years ago. And they said, okay, we'll work with you on it. And so we created an approach that was, it was, it was crafted out of the dirt then, but with, I collaborated with very smart people, Steve, uh, Dr. Steve Carp, one of the best eating disorder physicians in the country and a psychiatrist. Um, he was involved. Deb Hughes was involved and, but it was really, it was from the ground up. How might we help this population because there was so little help available. There were tons of diet books. We're obsessed, but the you know the gain and lose cycle is uh, something anybody who struggles with food is intimately uh, knowledgeable of. Right, but it also feels like you know these days people are changing in that there's a lot more body acceptance and there's much more of a movement towards wellness as opposed to thinness, and that part of that wellness is a freedom from the torture of food. Okay. A lot of people f- dealing with food multiple times a day is a torturous experience. Do you have a, a scale in your house? Yes. I weigh myself every day. Oh, interesting. So, you, some people, some therapists would say, you must not have a scale. And they'll, they'll lose their mind if they wouldn't see you if you had a scale. Mm. You're not doing what I want you to do. The thing that is most important is I do not want you to get on that scale. Mm. It's interesting. Different approaches. Mm. Um, I have a scale. How uh, often do you weigh yourself? Uh, once a month. I, okay. I weighed myself this morning because I knew I was going to see you. Were you pleased? Uh, it's interesting. It said a higher number than I thought it was. And then I stepped off and got back on. And it was the number I thought it would be like 184. Okay. Uh, I hate an inconsistent scale. It really pisses me off. And then I did it again. And it was the second <laughs> weight again. But it, for anyone who doesn't struggle with food or weight, they have no idea the importance of that number. On the scale. Absolutely. But so in 90 pounds heavier, that was your high weight. That was my highest yeah, weight. Yeah. And and to be clear, I was pregnant then. Okay, so that okay. was the weight, my highest weight when uh-huh. I walked into the hospital to give birth to my daughter. And you 40 were having triplets. Right. No, sadly, there was just one baby and she didn't weigh 50 pounds. Was a lot of it baby weight? So 40 pounds of it was baby weight uh-huh. and 50 pounds of it was. So I started my pregnancy 50 pounds overweight. So let's just say the one, the beautiful woman that I'm looking at right now 
at her top weight, not baby weight, because that's incremental, right? Mm -hmm. 50 pounds heavier. Right. So one, it was 190. Your liver was different. Your heart was different. The way that we carry weight impacts everything, not only how we feel, how we parent, how we look, how we want to have sex, how our drives work, but it also interrupts the God-given rituals or universe-given rituals that we have to feed ourselves. So it creates this lack of momentum as we get heavier. And it's, it's, I, I think of it as like sloth-like behavior. The, the bigger you get, the slower you get. So mm-hmm. it makes me crazy when we talk about the acceptance of fat. Mm-hmm. because I'm all for accepting where we are in a moment and considering or getting curious about getting better. If I'm in a disease state where it's going to, if I have something facing me that's going to kill me, I would challenge a person to let's talk about how we can get better. But the acceptance of a disease state, I'm not for that. But for someone who says, okay, my goal, it may be to lose weight. It may not be to lose weight. But my primary goal is to be healthier. Yeah, awesome. But also freedom. Because that, to me, has been the greatest gift. It's not smaller clothes. It's freedom from the torture, the daily minute-to-minute torture that I experienced over food. I heard you say earlier, not today. It was, it was in relation to a muffin. Right. But you, you said that was some version of self-talk. Do you look at things like that when you are tempted or your eyes take you to a place where you think, oh, I think that's not going to be a loving decision? That, well, that was a moment of weakness. I mean, mm-hmm. I was having a debate in my mind. Do I want it? We, and to fill people in, this is a conversation that we were having before we went on the air, is that, you know, I know myself. <laughs> give me the give muffin. Me muffin. I know myself to be a food addict. There are certain foods I stay away from. Mm-hmm. My drug of choice is baked goods. Mm-hmm. I cannot control myself around them. And I was having an emotional morning and I stopped at the bodega and I was debating whether or not I wanted to have a muffin for breakfast. For those not in New York, a bodega is a corner market that has lots of cheap baked goods. (laughs) And sometimes a stray cat running around. Oh, my God. Truly. So um, the the debate was, do I want to do this? Do I want this quick temporary comfort or do I want to just plow through? And I I said, you know, it's not going to be worth it. I'm going to feel so lousy afterwards. It's just going to make my emotional experience worse. So right now I'm going to pass. And that was a, that's a whenever I'm upset my first go-to place is food. I have mm. this conversation with myself every time I'm upset. Am my I mouth gonna, is watering. Okay, right so now. you have a similar yeah. experience. So how do we get that freedom? Mine was triggered by the thought of the muffin. Right? Like it was 2 minutes ago, but I was still back at the muffin. But isn't that a sign of a problem? If someone said to well, me it's a sign potato of a problem. chip it's, it, it's it's be a, gone. Yes, it's a sign of a problem, but it's also a baseline for action. If you can identify a problem, it gives you the wonderful opportunity for a solution. And I think there there are solutions. I think with food, though, it's really hard to sell it because people really have a hard time integrating ritual of self-care around food into their day-to-day lives. Now, you describe a lot of different types of, can we call them problem eaters? You know, the emotional eating, the habitual eating. Well, I think, what, what are well, we that, describing? That, that's a, a great idea to uh, opt in and, and f- discover what kind of eater you are because if you have the language for it, like when you walked into the store this morning and you said, uh, that muffin is talking to me, then self-talk probably took you to a place to, you know, well, I'm a food addict. I'm not going to eat that today. I'm going to walk out. I'm going to recognize, I'm going to honor myself and know that this is a, a problem for me and I'm not going to do it. Similarly, check this out. A year ago, and my my father had passed away. We went to my uh, 
father's funeral, and my brother Greg got very sick. Took him to the hospital. Turned out he had stage four cancer. <gasps> what a surprise, right? 57-year-old guy, total sweetheart. Uh, nothing worked. Couldn't figure out exactly what type it was, and it was, it was, such, a, it was such a shame that we thought, eh, we're going to lose him, right? But we didn't yet know what kind it was. So it was this great conundrum, like the mystery of what's killing Greg. And uh, finally, we got we got his samples to Memorial Sun Kettering. They tested it, and they came back to him and said, oh, good news. It is this kind, and there's a new drug. If we treat it, 5% chance that it'll cure you, but it'll also make you even sicker than you are. And I, I counseled to myself, don't do it. You are so sick. Don't do it. But we had the answer of what it was, and he took the leap and decided to take 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 the advice of the doctor. He's in full remission now. Wow! Right? Praise and literally, God. we went up and said our goodbyes to Greg. Wow! And but the important piece of information with Greg Lamb was he, with the help of others, discovered what it was that was killing him. Right. You know, it wasn't that over there or this over here. It was this exact thing. And if we know what it is, and it goes to what type of eater you are type of eater I am it's good information to on which to base a, a plan so that n- then you're addressing you're responding to a actual fact rather than oh my god I can't keep the weight off so describe the different kinds of eaters well one is uh, an emotional eater I would say that's that's what most people who struggle with food will they'll describe themselves as the emotional eater the per- person that when their heart hurts when their spirit is out of sorts when they I'll use the term dysregulated right they turn to food and when they make a decision to turn to food everything changes even before they put the food in their mouth there's a there's a release yeah there is and even if you say I'm going to go shopping in an hour and get that thing that is going to soothe me you're satiated for a time, and then you go get it, and you're satiated again, and the dopamine is released, and your body knows what's straight ahead. So the dopamine can be released prior to you actually. Absolutely. That's interesting In fact, because once I've, oh, you know, my experience is once I've made the decision to have a binge, I feel mm-hmm. better then. I start yeah. to feel relief. Even before you put it in your mouth. And it's with that decision you start the binge. It's not when you put the food in your mouth. It's with the decision you start the binge. So if you're an emotional eater, knowledge is power. If you know and you can own, I get dysregulated and I want to eat and it soothes me, that's powerful information. Because then I can attempt to work on, like I would say, talk to, read a book about relational trauma. See why emotional binges are satiated by food because that's a specific thing and that's a lot of us. And it's, it's not just the things that happened to us, but the things that didn't happen to us, the neglect with which we were treated. Okay, that's so you talk about an emotional eater. So an emotional eater, that's, that, that is most Americans, I would say, who struggle with their food. Mm-hmm. It is in part tied to emotions. Okay, so to yeah. free yourself from that, you have to do what? Learn how to process your emotions in a non-food way? Yes. But that's and, hard. And, well, it's not as hard as it, it looks, though, Come because on. honestly – Read about – there's a wonderful approach to uh, complex trauma healing that's based in IFS, which is Internal Family Systems. And if you know anything about therapy, CBT is the big therapy that's used in groups 
for the last 30 or 40 years. And it's what insurance pays for. But uh, there's an evidence-based approach, too, called IFS, Internal Family Systems. It's a little more difficult to use, uh, for therapists to use, but it's really impactful. Uh, It's great at impacting the uh, impact, impact, in helping with the impact of relational trauma in our bodies because Mm -hmm. we carry it. Just like I carry 10 pounds of fat around my belly, I carry relational trauma in my central nervous system and that impacts the decisions I make with how I want to feel better. I I was talking, there's a great cardiologist in LA called uh, Richard Carlsberg and I was talking to him about last week I said, of your heart patients who are, who get your speech about if you don't change the way you're eating, you are going to die. We just put five stents in. If you don't change this, you are going to die. And I say, I say, I see because I got to see him give that speech to someone. I was like, oh, my God, that's, you're an interventionist. You're amazing. You save lives every day. I said, what percentage of those that you give that speech to will actually take the lifestyle intervention changes that you're suggesting and run with it? He says 10 20%. So you have the majority choosing their food over their life. I would, and yes, and I think it also illustrates how hard it is to change our relationship with food. Mm-hmm. But it's doable. Okay, but I want to give people hope. Um, I also want to move through the, these other categories. So let's do that. Don't eat. We're running out of time. Don't eat. <laughs> so let's quickly tell me about what the other categories are. And then I want to give people real well, strategies. I don't, I, look, rabbit hole is, is talk. Uh, m- most of them are uh, emotional eaters is the largest category. Mm-hmm. What's the sensual eater uh, is another group. But that's eater. for sensual. Mm-hmm. That's for the person who is uh, not food addicted, doesn't have an eating disorder, but they consistently will overfeed or make unhealthy choices because they're, mm-hmm. they're really into the art and the beauty of it, the, mm-hmm. the essence of that sauce or the heritage of that meat. Mm-hmm. And uh, Well, that doesn't seem like most people. No, that's not agreed. Yeah. All right, then you have habitual eater, so that's just more your your daily habits. Uh, habitual eater would just be the person that's really binge cycle. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of people, though. If you're a person that wakes up in the middle of the night and without thought talks to the potato chips just as they are talking to you from the shelf mm-hmm. and goes to them and devours them, that's that's a lot of people too. Uh, often you'll see an emotional eater with a binge with a habitual eater. You know, two. You can be more than one, but but it's it's good to know how you eat because if you don't, like for a habitual eater, uh, one easy way to have new rituals around food is um, don't have create a food desert for the foods that you binge on. Right, which is what my house yeah. is. Me my, too. My, my father so I, comes I, to visit. I came so back. Nothing good. In oh, your they house. do. Yeah, <laughs> I came back from L.A. yesterday, and I did a, a delivery for last night. So I get home, and I know that there's going to be. Good, loving food in my house. I th- I think of it as garbage food mm-hmm. or self love food. I really view it as a through that That's a great prism way of self love. Yeah, but it's, it's absolutely not bad accurate. food or uh, good food. It's either food that the nature intended for me to eat or other uh, crap. I'm gonna I'm gonna adopt that self love food or garbage food because I don't like labeling food as good or bad either. I I have identified mm. it as productive or non productive. Well, I try to teach people too to just to have a love centered diet. If you can in- include self-love in your plan that's a great start 
Right. I agree. Yeah. You don't have to loathe yourself to want to change or get better. You can start from a place of love. Some nutritionists, though, will want you to do dessert challenges and they will want to give you ice cream and cakes and see how you feel. And I would say if if you're if you're aware of what your binges are or trigger foods are. It's okay to put them, keep them on the shelf or out of the house. So then, what do you what taunt ourselves? What's your best advice for people who say I have a problem with food? I think about it obsessively. I regret the choices that I make. I'm always trying to diet. I'm always trying to make up for some indulgence. Who are just in this cycle of torture with food? Well, don't let exercise be your default because you'll never get ahead if that becomes the thing. Uh, And then, can I? This is one thing that I would suggest that people do. It, it doesn't cost a thing. You can download it for free. I'll, I'll give you the link to it. Um, but you can download a workbook for my book, Just 10 Pounds. And if you put pen to paper and are um, thoughtful about doing a little work, treat it like a class, that class where you want to get better at being you. Uh, and put pen to paper for 30 days. That's all it is. And it's a chance to become more aware. I, I find if people are, if I can help a person become curious to learn a little bit more about themselves to be healthier, which is kind of a low bar. We all want to live. No, kill me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but people are still uh, making choices that no, are true, killing them. True, but you know, pen to paper is so great. This morning I sat and uh, I do it on my iPad now, but it's lined and I, I use a little Apple pencil and I, I write every morning and I, I find that that connection is a really powerful one and in creating a new ritual uh, rituals around food, um, it's so impactful if we become uh, more intentional about how I'm going to eat, what my approach is. And any coping strategies for when you want to go to the dark place, when you you know want to bury your sorrows in a tub of ice cream? Mm. Or... Yeah, I'll, I'll say this. You know, there's nothing like um, peer-to-peer support. You know, we do together what we can alone. And, I mean, as a notion, that that's one thing that helps a lot of people. So I'm a fan of, uh, there are all different kinds of food support groups, but Weight Watchers is a food support group, but so is OA. And so is it's in LA, there's a popular program called see how that's compulsive eaters anonymous. Um, but the value of those programs is you get to sit in a room occasionally and get support from other people with whom you share an understanding and, uh, a, a com- common enemy, if you will, which is uh, the harm I do myself with food. So I love peer-to-peer support. I think there's nothing like it. You know, some churches have Celebrate Recovery as part of their uh, work, too, and Celebrate Recovery has a language for getting healthier with their with your food. Um, th- th- that's one idea. I love peer-to-peer support, plus it doesn't cost you anything. And any advice on getting back up after you've fallen down? So a lot of us are very kind of rigid in our ideas about what we should be eating. And when we have a slip, that day can turn into a week, two weeks, a mm. whole summer. And we're just too ashamed Not today, to Satan. get back up. Yeah. Well, the, sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. So what, oh what do you do when God. Satan has one and you're laying in a ditch? Yeah. I. You know, I, some people would be punitive, but I've I've really found that. Uh, the best motivation is uh, self-talk that's encouraging, that is lacking in shame. Um, and the practice of self-talk around restarting, you know. There's no shame in failure and certainly with food uh, around which we don't have the same kind of abstinence. I haven't, I haven't done meth in 15 years. 
I get a I get a prize, right? You do get a it's prize. Awesome. Want to end on that note. Brad, thank you for being here. Brad Lamb, where can people find more information about you and the work you do? Well, you can find me at bradlamb.com. That's easy. L-A-M-M. Or you can Google me. Look up Breathe Life Healing Center. We're the largest acute care uh, program that is treating binge eaters and those that really struggle with eating disorders. Mm -hmm. And we use a uh, trauma-focused, sophisticated clinical program. And I'm really proud of that work. Of all the stuff I've done in my entire life, I have a real passion for people like my family and my mom, especially who have struggled with food. And uh, so you can find out a lot about me there. All right, bradlam2ms.com. Thank you, Brad. Staying motivated is a 24-7 job. Let's keep this conversation going. Send us your questions by using the hashtag motivated or tweet me at maracamp. Help spread the motivation by taking a moment to give us a quick review. Just click the link in the description of this episode. New episodes post Monday mornings. And don't forget, you can listen to motivated episodes three days early on the TuneIn app. New episodes will post on Fridays. Download TuneIn today and listen for free. Motivated is a production of ABC News. Thanks for listening. I'm Mara Skevel-Kampel.